Hello, everyone. Toward Inclusive Excellence is excited to share with you another great interview with an outstanding talent in honor of Black History Month. I'm Alexia Hudson Ward, Editor-in-Chief of Toward Inclusive Excellence. This episode is a conversation with Echo Eshen, the author of In the Black Fantastic, the fall 2022 indie pick from Publisher Weekly. Echo was the first Black person appointed in the United Kingdom as an editor of a major publication, Arena Magazine, in 1997. A celebrated journalist and described as a cultural polymath by The Guardian, Echo curated the highly successful exhibition in The Black Fantastic at London's Hayward Gallery in 2022. The book that he's going to speak about is accompanying this amazing work. His book is a retrospective and a future-focused celebratory exploration of Black fable, folklore, science fiction, spiritual traditions, ceremonial pageantry, and the legacies of Afrofuturism. Various artistic mediums are covered in this beautiful work of more than 300 color illustrations, including from music, architecture, painting, photography, sculpture, and film. In our interview, Echo discusses how he views the Black Fantastic as a source of inspiration in honor of people of African descent who imagine an ascended future that draws on an essential legacy of triumph over tragedy. Now onto our conversation with Echo Eshim. Thank you so much for joining us. It is really an honor and a treat to talk to you today about your incredible book. Thank you very much, Alexia. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. No, thank you again. Um, So for many people really trying to understand what you mean when you say the Black Fantastic, right, could extend across so many genres, could extend across so many different disciplines. So how would you describe the Black Fantastic to our audience? The Black Fantastic, um, I think about the Black Fantastic as a way of seeing, which is to say, in fact, as you've indicated, that to me there's something that is taking place across a number of creative disciplines, across a number of Black creative disciplines, from visual art to music to literature to cinema, even architecture and other areas. In all of these, we see some black practitioners reaching beyond the everyday, reaching beyond the quotidian, reaching beyond the parameters of of what we've been told is the reality of our existence and thinking speculatively, thinking into possibility, thinking into interiority and into dreaming, thinking about the fantastic. The fantastic here, when I use that term, is to do with, I suppose, thinking within realms of fantasy, science fictional, speculative, mythological, metaphoric, and using those 
modes of thinking, imagining, and dreaming to then consider and speculate on what our lived reality as black people is and how we might reframe our seeing and understanding of what that means by drawing on myth, by drawing on the speculative, by drawing on the science fictional, we offer another framework to understand the racialized everyday and to put into context sometimes the strangeness, sometimes the absurdity, sometimes the fraughtness of what it is to walk through the world as a black person. Let's keep it there. We can expand from there, but that's my stuff. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'm intrigued. So absolutely, I'm really interested in an expansion because, you know, one of the things, as you well know from your study and from the great work that you have covered in this amazing book, is the diasporian connection of what you describe as the fantastic, right? And specifically, you know, I think of some of the stories that you know, I was raised on as an African-American child about the flying African, about how there is this situational relationship between the unborn, the living and the deceased. Right. And, yeah. and that is a continuum that is not broken. So I'm really interested in exactly. hearing okay. how you yeah. think about this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, what is the function of some of these myths? So like you say, there's a the kind of beguiling myth of the flying Africans, which is a story that has its origins in real life, has its origins in the real life story that um, takes us back to the early 19th century when a group of African people captured, forcibly transported across the Atlantic, are coming up to the southern coast of Georgia. They rebel on their ship. They force a off the ship, the white slavers who tried to capture them, their ship runs aground on the coastline. And then at this point, they face a choice. They face a choice between being recaptured, being re-enslaved, or a final act of rebellion, resistance, and liberation. They walk as a collective group of people. They join hands and they walk into the water. They walk into the water and commit an act of collective suicide or collective resistance, if you will. Mm -hmm. Historically, this act, this true act, then turns into myth, then turns into fable, which has been repeated time and again in the southern states of America, in the Caribbean, even in parts of Latin America, where we hear this story of how these people, African people originally from Nigeria, instead of drowning, it's said that they joined hands and flew into the sky and flew back to Africa. And when you look through different archive records and accounts of enslaved people and formerly enslaved people and back into the 19th century and further forward and their descendants, you see the story recurring and recurring of the flying Africans. It takes place, it's been drawn upon and used both historically, but also in contemporary terms, Tony Morrison uh, uses the story of the flying Africans as the launch point, really, for the Song of Solomon, her novel. Beyonce references this in Lemonade. You see a scene where a group of people are walking into the water. Uh, the film Black Panther 
references the same thing. Now, so here's the thing. So we have a resonant myth. We have reality turned into resonant myth. We have reality turned into a story of resistance, a story of speculative possibility, of return. Question is, why is this taking place? Why do these myths become important? Right. My position, I suppose, with uh, fantastic as a theory is that, in fact, this is a way of offering another order and another scene of reality that contradicts the myth that we are already living within, which is the myth of race in itself. So, right, people are brought to the West over 400 years from the 17th century onwards. And we're told that we are inferior. We're told that we are other. We're told that we're alien. We're told that we're not fully human. We live within a myth already, but that myth is not within our power to determine. So the myth of, so the idea of race, race isn't some scientific proposition. Race has always been ideology. Race has always been a story. Race has always been a fantasy. And it's always been predicated on hierarchy. It's always been predicated in a hierarchy that puts whiteness at the, at the apex, blackness at the base. Blackness is the uncivilized. Blackness is the unsophisticated. Blackness is the savage and the brute. So from my perspective, I would suggest we don't live on an equal plane of quality, but neither do we live on an equal plane of reality. We already live within a fantasy. It's just we're supposed to believe that somehow the fantasy of race, this kind of speculative notion of a racial hierarchy, represents reality. So the Black Fantastic in versions such as the myth of the flying Africans, it becomes another way of reading possibility, offering possibility, reading resistance, suggesting that in our dreaming, we find not a literal response, but the metaphor, the story, is enough to fill us with a sense of possibility, with a sense of what might be, with a sense of the speculative. We might take flight in a number of other ways. And so the way that that reality turns into a fable turns then into the fiction of Toni Morrison, the music and the visuals of Beyonce, Daughters of the Dust by Julie Dash, the astonishing film. This is an indication of how significant the role of the speculative and the imaginative and the potentiality of possibility. This is an indication of how significant the role of the fantastic is as a form of, resist of resistance, as a form of continued dreaming, as a, as a form of insistence upon further possibility. For me, that story you are already identified is such a pivotal example of how the Black Fantastic both has its roots in reality, has its roots in resistance, and offers us further roots into further avenues of dreaming and flourishing. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of what you said kind of goes into my next question for you around, you know, how your book really celebrates this transcendence away from this Western philosophy of success, right? Mm -hmm. And this Western philosophy of progress and how through 
what one would describe as like Africanity or the broader African experience, one can move into realms that have been traditionally exclusionary, such as science fiction, as you had identified, such as the scientific and even the supernatural. And so why was that so important for you to elevate it in this particular book around Black artistry, especially? Thank you. I think part of the goal for me is how do you break down the paradigms? How do you, sorry, how do you, rather, how do you break down the binaries? How do you break down the binaries that position black, the white, sophisticated versus savage, civilization versus barbarism, progress versus unprogress? The reason I mention this is because historically those kind of binaries have also been used as a, as a means to confine black flourishing, black dreaming, black progress. We can go all the way back to the Enlightenment. So in the midst of the Enlightenment, 18th century Enlightenment, this forms the basis, European Enlightenment forms the basis really for modern Western thought, for notions of tolerance, democracy, openness, liberalism that modern Western nations are built upon. And yet simultaneous to the development of the Enlightenment in the 18th century and then into the 19th century, we also have the evolution of scientific racism. We also have the evolution of a whole set of ideas that insist that people of colour, people of African origin are innately underdeveloped or innately Underhuman, uncivilized in comparison to the forces of enlightenment values. Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. talked about, Thomas Jefferson writes in his essay on beauty about how black people are innately ugly that, and that, that the darkness of their skin is in itself an indication of the primitiveness of their thinking and of their capacity for feeling. <sighs> Hegel, Kant, all these figures, the giant figures in the Enlightenment, when you look at how they thought racially speaking, it was also to do with there's only one, think fundamentally they believe there's only one route towards Enlightenment, which was to do with the values and the aesthetics even of white people, and that black people represented the dichotomous opposite of that. They represented the other point on that binary. They represented underdevelopment. Hegel talked about Africa as a place without history. Its people fundamentally irredeemably savage, unable Mm -hmm. to progress. So all of these things, for me, the, the sort of reclaiming of what we might call as a supernatural or a speculative even this isn't this is about saying not just one versus the other even but just that there's more than one way to read how to look at the world so it's less about trying to affirm necessarily and kind of create a positive versus a negative association this is really more about epistemologies this is really more about saying when we actually look at the ways of seeing that let's say different african people have historically developed and cultivated. 
we don't see underdevelopment. We see simply another framework for holding space, holding time, holding relations across people, another framework, another, another way of gathering and holding knowledge. So part of what I'm interested in, the Black Fantastic is saying, what happens when we prioritise and what happens when we value other ways of seeing, other forms of knowledge, other ways of gathering time, progress, information, human relations, and say, let's look at these as generative sources, also of possibility, as roots in themselves into dreaming, as points and conduits towards knowledge of ourselves and of culture and of society, rather than dismissing those as the dichotomous opposite of progress and civilization and so on. Yes. So fundamentally, I'm just thinking about how we open up space, space that allows black people to walk with knowledge, to walk with cultural connection and lineage, and then from there to dream further. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I, I reflect on my first experience, as I would describe it yeah. with your book, because I've had multiple experiences <laughs> with it because it's so rich. It's encyclopedic, almost, in the sense of literally the hundreds of artists, some of which you've mentioned in this mm. conversation, um, through which they are continuing this, you know, this kind of notion, this lexicon, this philosophy, this idea that you explore, you know, within the Black Fantastic, right? And I'm yeah. really curious, and I, I would imagine that our listeners are audiences as well around, how did you curate the number of individuals that you explored in this book? Because I, I will be honest with you, I, the first time I read your book, my mouth was open. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> my goodness, right? Just just the level of, of intellectualism and spiritualism and artisticness that's incorporated in, in the Black Fantastic is just, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, but how have you? How did you make the determination of who to include in your book? Well, to be honest, I had a really good time making the book. The book has three hundred. I can tell. Yeah, the book has yes. three hundred images in it, and what basically what I realized when I when I started off thinking about the book, I started off with visual art because the book is also a companion to an exhibition that I did. That I curated in London a couple of years ago. But I realized that, and part of the start point for me was looking at the work of a number of different artists, Wangechi Mutu or Kara Walker or Chris Afili or Nick Cave, and seeing certain affinities between what they were doing. This is, this is one of my start points. But also, another of my start points was watching the first Black Panther movie or watching Lemonade or reading Octavia Butler. Or listening to Miles Bitches Brew, or listening to the American, the, uh, the Ghanaian funk band from the 1970s, whose records my parents used to have. There's a Ghanaian funk band called the Sibisa, 
whose records mm. my parents used to have when I was growing up. And the covers of those albums are so wild. There's a flying elephants and there's kind of just all sorts of fantastic imagery. Essentially, what I realized was that I started joining some dots and I realized that in terms of my conception of the Black Fantastic, I realized that others had been in that territory. And for me, the task of the book was just to try and excavate and explore the territory. Mm. So the book takes a very broad approach, i.e. it covers visual art and literature and film and music and architecture and pan-Africanist politics and philosophy and a whole range of different territories. Because one of the things that was really exciting to me was as I set off on the journey of making the book, I kept coming across yet further connections and possibilities and linkages. It felt like I was exploring a territory that was already there, but which we hadn't quite seen before. Yes. And so the joy of it is that once you get attuned to that, you start to see these things everywhere. So one of the things I, amongst many others, we look at you know, 1970s free jazz, Alice Coltrane, Ferris Sanders. You realise that the, the leap motif running through their music so much of the time, they talk about freedom. All of the time, they're always talking about artistic freedom, which is a version of political freedom. Their 1970s version of that freedom is an artistic one. It's a creative one, but it sits in parallel absolutely with the liberation movements that had taken place in Africa during that time. In the 1960s and 1970s, it sits absolutely in parallel with the experiments in abstract art taking place in uh, amongst a number of different African-American abstract artists during that time, and so on and so on. One position leads to another, but collectively, you realise there's a shared language in play. There's a shared, not just a visual aesthetics, but there's a shared ethos that's in play. So it was maybe about an hour, a year and a half of exploring this territory, but it was a, it's a wild zone and I wanted to come back from there and share what I found. Yeah, no, and it's, it's fabulous. And I'm happy and I know many, many others are as well that you shared this in both an exhibition and also in the book. And I do want to talk about Echo this idea around the multidisciplines, right? As we had initially started our conversation, you know, and not to devolve specifically into some of the kind of ugliness that's going on in the United States Mm. now around the anti-DEI movement, but to me and the Black Fantastic really pulls together a lot of interdisciplinary threads to assert the necessity of teaching in a really and and learning and exploring in a really inclusive way. And could you talk about how kind of inclusive excellence, inclusivity guided the design and the elements by which you explore um, within your book? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, I mean, that was, that's a pretty crucial element to the whole project. (sighs) How do you get beyond a single hierarchy of knowledge and information? How do you broaden out a field of reference 
that allows diverse positions, that allows people of colour to speak, that expands a universe of possibility. And how, so these are, these are some of the questions I was asking from the beginning, but also how do we get to talk about social justice, racial inequality, in ways that then simultaneously offer us pleasure? So how do we talk about pain and fraughtness of our current times, but also historically? How do we do that within a framework that allows us to see ourselves, to stand back and reframe current moments in time? Art, culture, creativity, film, all of these things are really useful terms within which to look with high seriousness at who we are, at how we live, at the decisions that our society makes. Artists are really good at doing two things. One, they're really good at offering metaphoric frameworks through which we can reframe current existence. And secondly, they're also really good at offering I suppose what we might say is, yeah, another way of seeing. They're also really good at offering stories that bring us closer to richness, that bring us closer to another position and another point of view. So fundamentally, the Black Fantastic is anything. I mean, I started off saying it's a it's about a way of seeing. Really, it's about, okay, what is an what is an unessentialized black gaze? Just to say that. We talk about blackness very often. It's easy and perilous sometimes to get into a kind of essentialized idea that, well, black people see this this way and so on and so on. Well, actually, blackness is always a site of infinity. It's always a site of multitudes within any person, really, in respect for their color. We see whole universes, possibilities. So if we talk about blackness, well, what might that look like? What does black dreaming look like? What does black interiority look like? What does a speculative zone of possibility, how might that be conjured into being? These are some of the questions I wanted to ask as a way to get beyond reductive notions of race, but also then as a way to offer maybe some counter position, a position of possibility, resistance, love, joy, inquiry, dreaming, reaching out. On a personal level, I've drawn inspiration from pretty much every person, artist, film, project, anything in that book means something to me. Whether you know everything in there or not, I suspect there'll be works in there that have the same you have the same relationship to. So this is also yes. saying, can we counter, you know, some of the fraughtness and just the, you know, some of the ways that the world we live in right now wants to deny us and wants to deny our humanity. One of the ways to counter that then, certainly my aim here, is to create a book that is full of life, that is full of possibility, that is full of contradiction, that is full of that is a flourishing that suggests the different ways black being, 
like personhood, can iterate itself. It was actually a useful mechanism for me not to get too down about how we're living by trying to put together, well, here's a tome. Here are some pages of possibility. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's that possibility and, and that being a really important thematic underpinning that is so valuable in the context of what you explore with your book in the Black Fantastic. And I, I want to go back to a point that you made earlier around the movie Black Panther and how in many ways that ignited, you know, some deeper interest for you mm. from a speculative and intellectualistic perspective around Afrofuturism and also speculative fiction, which you've mentioned a couple of times in our conversation. And so how do those themes really help to further our understanding of identity, right? Because, you know, when the movie came out, every, you know, so many people, millions, billions of people, very, you know, excited about it. It brought forth new energy and new interests around the history, right, of Black and uh, futurism, Afrofuturism, as it is described thematically. But how does that help generally all of us think about identity and think about the possibilities of a fantastic future for people yeah. of African descent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think. My start point really is that I was interested in how can we tell, I was interested in the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and about how in telling those stories, we come to more than one way of looking at ourselves, of conjuring or constructing a world. Black Panther moment was extraordinary. When that first film came out, like you said, everyone, well, many people, many people loved that film. I loved that film. Um, but equally, I'll tell you what, though, equally, I was also conscious that sort of fantastic and pleasurable as it was, this couldn't be the only reading of Black Possibility. You know, there's, right. some, there's some flaws with the concept of the Black Panther um, as a character, this, you know, this version of Wakanda. There's an essentialized nature to that. You go to Wakanda, they're still carrying spears around and stuff. Well, they're very sophisticated people and so on and so on. So actually, the danger with just Wakanda is that we end up back in another binary where black people are sophisticated and civilizational, but they still carry spears. And it's kind of the pleasure is with the contradiction of that. I'm more interested in identity as not a fixity. Identity is a fluidity. So I love Black Panther, but the inspiration for me was, okay, well, let's think about other possibilities here. Let's think about other speculative futures or presents or pasts. Let's think about the different ways also other artists and writers and so on have conjured this and conjured this not simply, not just, not exclusively for the pleasure of imagining, for the pleasure of seeing, and the pleasure is deep in the way of Black Panther, but also really fundamentally to, to, fundamentally to think about Blackness as a, yeah, as a not fixed position, as a plural position, as a fluid position, rather than a singular fixity which can be defined and then confined. So here, for me, one of my... Actually, okay, yeah. Look, two of my great inspirations growing up. I used to read Marvel comics. 
used to like Black Panther when I was a kid. But I also, as a certainly as a late teenager, I came across the work of Stuart Hall, the cultural theorist, mm. British cultural mm-hmm. theorist. Fantastically important figure for me, for many others. Stuart Hall, certainly in my reading, when I was growing up, was one of the first people whose work I read that defined for me this notion of identity as well. Stuart Hall talked about identity as an unfinished conversation, as an always in progress yeah. building, as a as a becoming rather than, as well as a being as a state of possibility, that seems important to me as a way of thinking about who we are and who we can be, which is to say that who we can be is always in progress, is always in a mode of possibility, is always open to further imagining, further defining. This is another way, I would suggest, of speaking of freedom, of speaking of liberation, mm-hmm. the freedom to be outside someone else's gaze, outside someone else's confining different definitions. The Black Panther, therefore, is a beautiful illustration of one of those modes. The exciting thing for me is, well, you start looking at that film. You might read Octavia Butler books after that, or you might start to listen to Farrah Sanders and so on and so on and so on. Each iteration offers another take, and it turns out there are infinite iterations. It turns out there are infinite ways of blackness. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I could talk to you for, <laughs> for hours, but... <laughs> Alas, we don't have hours, and so <laughs> my my last question for you, which is elevating the discourse of what we would describe as you know the black experience mm. beyond the skirmishes, the battles, and the tussles that are mm. going on now, right? And how do you think of the black fantastic? in helping to contribute to an elevated discourse that moves us out of the defensive and shifts us back to so many of the things that you had talked about, Echo, specifically freedom and liberation. So would you talk a little bit about that? Sure. The one thing to say is the battles and the skirmishes and so on are foundational. They're important. We're defining our ground, and this seems to be a never-ending struggle issue for us. The Black Fantastic, therefore, is not a retreat from that. It's not an escape from that. Yes. It's about saying, okay, in which terms do we do that? How do we carry ourselves through a world in which our personhood can be constantly challenged? And that challenge can take place sometimes on a small glancing way. Someone can look at you in a shop. Someone can move their bag away from you next on the subway. Sometimes those challenges can take place on a fundamental level, which puts you at risk of imprisonment or death or grievous harm in some other way. But how do we walk through the world in one form or another, with one set of challenges or another? How do we walk through the world? What is in our heads as well as our hearts? How do we find 
the strength and also the courage, the imagination, the desire, the curiosity to keep moving and to keep creating. How do we find the strength and the stamina to dream, to imagine, to create, to keep making worlds, to keep making worlds that we can live in on our own terms, to keep sharing ground that we can gather within, that we can invite others within. The Black Fantastic is, in my terms, a zone of possibility. It's an invitation to further dreaming. It's an invocation to reaching up, to reaching out, to saying, let us not be confined. Let us not be held back. Let us continue to walk and to dream and to imagine and to create. Let's walk towards freedom and recognize that in order to get there, we have to conceive what it might look like, what it might feel like, what it might be like to walk in arms and fly into the sky. We have to be able to imagine that and keep imagining that. That's where the Black Fantastic comes in. Excellent. Echo, thank you so much for such an enlightening and wonderful conversation. We really appreciate your time. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Alexa. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening to our interview with Echo Eshen, award-winning curator and author of In the Black Fantastic. Sign up to receive our newsletter, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast that are available on most podcasting platforms. Be well.